Welcome to this week's episode of The Running Effect with Dominic Schleter. I'm your host, Dominic, and today's episode of the podcast is a really special one. I believe it's the first podcast in all of my episodes that hasn't really been focused on running. But as with anything, running is very applicable to many other facets of life, and so are many other sports, including cycling and biking, which is kind of the topic of today's show. So I want to pose a question. What is the most you have ever ridden on a bike? Many people have rode 20 miles, 30 miles, some 50 miles. Personally, I've only gone 30 miles. Some have done ridiculous distances, but for the average American, I imagine it's not too much. Now imagine biking 75 miles every single day. Well, that's what my friend Matt Welsh did this past summer when he embarked on this incredible journey going from Portland, Oregon to Portland, Maine, then down to Florida, all the way up the coast of California and back to Portland, Oregon. This trip was almost 11,500 miles. It took him 185 days. He went through 35 states. And as I previously mentioned, it was about 75 miles on average per day. He got 25 flat tires, 97 nights spent in his tent, and this is a fun statistic, he ate 15 jars of peanut butter. So this trip was truly remarkable. Matt goes through this trip and more on this episode of The Running Effect. He goes through the ins and outs of the trip, how he planned it, which is really a remarkable story. He kind of did it on a wing. Uh, How he planned it, how he executed it, his mindset, how he felt physically, mentally, and so, so much more. So I hope you appreciate this episode as much as I did. A look into the extreme endurance feat that he accomplished this past summer, basically completely solo. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Without further ado, here's my thought-provoking conversation with the man, the myth, the legend, Matt Welsh. Matt, welcome back to the Running Effect podcast. For those who don't know, which I guess no one would know, we recorded a first episode a few months back, probably over half a year, definitely over half a year ago. But unfortunately, it got deleted uh, through after my dad's computer crashed. So here we are giving it another go, but a little different subject today. But regardless, how are you doing? (laughs) I'm doing well, and I, I think it's funny you mentioned that. I, I think that was March of 2021 uh, that we tried to record that. And I just listened to uh, your podcast with Matt Fox, where you shared, right, that two of your podcasts that you've done got deleted. <laughs> so I was wondering, I was like, wait, yeah, I think that was one of ours. It was, it was. It was one of the two. <laughs> Crazy how life happens. I had zero control over it. Um, that's, that's the unfortunate reality of relying on technology sometimes. But regardless, here we are getting another episode in. Um, I will cross my fingers that this one gets saved. And it's funny because out of, you know, the 48th, this is like the 47th or 48th podcast I've recorded around that. Only two have ever been deleted and yours was one of them. So just... uh, I'm one of the lucky ones. I know, I know. Exactly, exactly. But for those who... um, didn't listen to our first episode, which would be everyone, because no one got the opportunity to. Can you give our listeners a brief introduction of who you are and your history in the sport of running? Yes, absolutely. So I am Matt Welch, a.k.a. Matty Ice, uh, a.k.a. Run the Process, 
uh, a.k.a. Maddie Dubs, a.k.a. <laughs> Great Crush, uh, all kinds of good nicknames. Um, but I, uh, I, kind of, I kind of have a funny backstory. I was a, a semi-professional runner. Um, I, I first you know, went to the University of Minnesota for four years, then went to the University of Portland for my graduate uh, a transfer year. I graduated there in 2018 and then kind of did the whole semi-professional running thing for a little bit, bounced around in uh, Portland, and then I was down in Flagstaff, uh, training with McCurdy Train for a while, um, and then uh, moved up to Bellingham, Washington when COVID hit. Um, and then uh, just recently, I biked across the country and around the country, which I, I think we're going to talk extensively about. Um, and now I'm back in Bellingham, Washington once again. But in terms of my running specifically, um, I've run, uh, I've been done kind of marathons for a while. So I've run 217 uh, for the marathon. I've run 102.25 for the half marathon, 29.15 for 10K. Smoking. 13.59 for 5K. Um, yeah, so I've, I've kind of dabbled in that scene and dabbled in the USATF uh, cross country and road circuit. Um, so I've kind of been in this space for a while. Um, but I mean, I took a step away uh, last, last year. Um, after failing to qualify uh, on the track for the Olympic trials, um, which was a pretty, uh, I was pretty bummed about that. So mm-hmm. I took took a step away and I decided to bike around the country. <laughs> it took six, six months doing that. Um, and now I'm just kind of settling back into my running leg, which is taking some time to get back to it. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. So can you dive a little deeper into where you got the idea to go across the country on a bike? Because <laughs> um, I mean, the the average the average yeah. Joe listening to this podcast, I don't think would ever dream of such a big endeavor. So take <laughs> us a little bit behind your mindset after some disappointment, not qualifying for the track trials, to completely flip the sport and go the distance, yeah. literally. Yeah. So there's a couple layers to that. First and foremost, um, so I have uh, three brothers, and my oldest brother Ben, he's four years older than me. When he was 21, I believe it was. He biked from Duluth, Minnesota, where I grew up, all the way to Anchorage, Alaska, and then back to Montana. Wow. So he he did that, right? So that's been in the back of my mind that, you know, people do these kind of things. So you said, I'm going to one-up you, brother. (laughs) Yes. But first, um, so that happened, and then him and I actually went on a, a bike tour after my freshman year in college around Lake Superior. So we did a 14-day bike tour, and it was 1,100 miles around Lake Superior. Um, so I kind of got a taste of what bike touring is like. And I didn't really like it that much. It was kind of boring. <laughs> You're just on a bike for, you know, eight hours each day, and you have to deal with all the weather. It's just kind of like, meh, not my thing. Um, but then fast forward, you know, what, seven years, and it's 2021. Uh, and last March, I ended up losing my job after two and a half years. Uh, and then I was all in on trying to qualify for the Olympic trials uh, on the track for the 10K. Dropped out of the two 10Ks, right, that I signed up for. And I was just kind of shredded from that. Uh, and then I, I, I was just ready for something different. I was ready for a new kind of physical challenge, different from running. Um, so this cycling thing has been kind of in the back of my head, like this bike touring that people do this. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to bike across the country. And I'm just going to be all in on that. And my plan is to go from uh, coast to coast. So seaside Oregon to Portland, Maine. And my main 
like reasons behind it is like one i just wanted to challenge myself in a new way a new physical way and then two i just wanted to reconnect with some friends and family across the country and just like visit them on my bike and i was <laughs> like that that'd be kind of a cool thing to you know do you just visit friends and family on the bike um so that was kind of the what's behind that and uh it wasn't until i <laughs> uh right the original plan was actually to just bike across the country coast to coast and i ended up meeting this guy when i was riding in missoula montana a 66 year old guy nicknamed the rocket man and he was biking all the way around the u.s and he kind of inspired me to actually do uh, kind of a circumnavigation of the U.S. rather than just biking across. Um, so I ended up deciding to, whenever I got to Maine, then I I went down to Florida and then crossed over all the way to California and then back up the Oregon coast and California coast to Seaside where it all started. So, so crazy. And here I am. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we will dive definitely deep into the weeds of the trip, but before we get there, I'm sure people are wondering how you plan this crazy journey because obviously... Um, there's more to it than just putting one foot in front of the other. So how did you go about planning this crazy journey and what were the biggest variables you would say going into the trip? Yeah, so uh, I'm not the greatest person to ask about planning things because I have a resistance to planning anything. So I'm kind of a sender. <laughs> <laughs> so I really, I didn't, I barely prepared. So I maybe hopped on the bike maybe 20 miles before I started. Wow. Because um, my last my last race, uh, I did the Music City Distance Carnival in, uh, I think, the second week of June, right? I tried to run a 10K there, dropped out of the 10K, and then ran the 1500 the next day. Um, and then the next week, I went to the Olympic Trials, right? Watched the Olympic Trials for a couple of days down in Eugene. And then on June 21st, I left for my trip. So I really barely planned. <laughs> I had money saved uh, for this trip because um, I was just saving money before I was let go from my job. Um, so I had money away and I kind of like the last minute, I just kind of compiled all the gear that I needed. I bought a bike on Craigslist. I uh, didn't really know much about the bike. I didn't know if it was, <laughs> was going to do the job. Uh, it did <laughs> but it didn't at that moment. Uh, and then I got all the gear that I thought I needed, you know, a tent, sleeping bag, sleeping pad, camp stove, all those kind of things. And, and then I just hopped on my bike and just, figured I would figure it out as I went. Wow. This yeah. is this is remarkable. Uh, <laughs> so to set the record straight, uh, uh, yeah. you didn't train at all before this, right? It was just like you decided you were going to do this journey and zero really training and just hop right on it. That is correct. But I, th I think with bike touring, it's, your body adapts really quickly. And it's not at an intensity where you really need to train that hard to prepare your body. Because, um, I mean, I'm biking at, you know, 11, 12 miles per hour, mm -hmm. right, for eight hours a day. So it's really not that, like, of a, you know, like a physically intense form of exercise. It's just, like, a very long exercise <laughs> where you're just in the saddle for a really, really long time. Totally. Um, so I think the, the kind of variable that I didn't plan uh, enough for is because I, so I did this trip solo, um, and I wasn't prepared to spend that much time alone right or to like be be on my bike for eight hours a day you know that's a long time to just be you know in your own head <laughs> uh, and just making progress and just pedaling and you know sometimes some parts of the country are beautiful and some parts of the country are just kind of bland and kind of boring so it was those parts of the country you know the bland and boring ones that 
you know, I had to kind of go deep inside and <laughs> kind of fight through those moments. Mm-hmm. Totally. We'll go back to some of that stuff, but real quick before we really hop into the actual journey, when you uh, were quote unquote planning this trip, what was the reaction from your friends and family when you told them your plans to bike across the country? <laughs> uh, well, considering that my my oldest brother has already you know biked across the country, I think like my parents kind of understood it, and they're like, "Yeah, you do it, you know, go for it," because um, it was a pretty transformational experience for my oldest brother, Ben. Um, so they were incredibly supportive, um, and then most of my friends were really supportive. Um, I think a lot of my friends were surprised, um, right? Because I was, I mean, I was in really good shape coming off the, the track season. And I could have continued, you know, running on the track or doing a road circuit. And, you know, I, I think I could have smashed a couple of my PRs, which would have been really exciting. But instead, I just decided to step away from the sport, you know, for six months, even though at the time it was supposed to just be three months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, ended up being six months. Um, so I think people were surprised on the on the friend front. But uh, I think for the most part, they were really excited and, um, yeah, kind of inspired by that. You know, me just being willing to just drop things with, with running to. Mm-hmm. So you embark on this incredible journey. So can you take us through the first part of your journey? What went according to plan and what didn't those first few days and weeks? Yeah, so what went according to plan? Uh, well, I ended up making it to Portland, Maine in one piece. <laughs> so uh, that was the goal, and I did that. Um, but what did it a lot, a lot. Uh, didn't shake out the way that I anticipated. Um, and right away I got hit with um, the heat wave in the Pacific Northwest uh, in late June of 2021. Um, I don't know if you remember seeing any of that stuff on the news, but um, it, when I was in south southeast Washington, it ended up getting up to 117 degrees. Um, and this was my first week on the bike. Right, so my body's still adapting. I'm still adapting to this certain kind of lifestyle. Um, and then I just get, you know, pounded with this heat for about a week, where it's consistently above 110 degrees. In, I mean, that's extremely dangerous to be in, in that kind of an environment. Um, it's very hostile. And when you're on the road and you're in, I mean, it's, it's kind of deserty out on the, the eastern side of Washington State. And, yeah, so I kind of had to... Uh, bunkered down for a couple days in Kennewick, Washington, Tri-Cities. Uh, and it was my first week. I, I wasn't prepared to do that. It was my <laughs> first week. Um, so that was kind of shocking. And then I ended up getting 11 flat in my first 15 days wow. riding. Right, so it was uh, pretty much every day, you know, I would get a flat. And there was uh, one day where I ended up getting four flats. And I was just, you know, just not mentally prepared to handle that kind of friction that early. <laughs> You know, so I would get frustrated, you know, I would, like, cough my bike, I would, like, storm off and kick the dirt on the side of the road, have my little tantrum, and then, you know, fix it and carry on. Um, so I think, yeah, those things didn't really go according to plan. And um, another thing with my lack of planning is I didn't really uh, create my route before uh, my trip. So I kind of designed my route as I went. So it, I didn't really have a planned out. <laughs> so there were a lot of times when, say, I lost service on my phone. I didn't have access to Google Maps or any of my mapping features, and I had to, like, figure out where to go next. Uh, and then sometimes I went on these dirt roads in the middle of nowhere with no service, 
no access to services and I'm running out of water, I'm running out of food and I'm freaking out, like what's going to happen to me? Um, but, you know, magically, you know, I figure it out and I find a asphalt road again, find a gas station, fuel up and continue onwards. Um, so I think it was a lot of things like that mm-hmm. you know, with just the, the lack of planning. That was probably the a poor move on my part. But, I mean, it was adventurous. Totally, totally. I thought about myself in that process. So when you had some sort of adversity, like for instance, you were telling us about getting four flat tires in one day during your first few days on the trip, how did you respond to that adversity during the trip to keep going and keep pushing yourself? Yeah, so one thing that I kind of, uh, a kind of mindset that I've adopted over time uh, with emotion like that in my life. And this is like all aspects of my life, whether it's running, whether it's my personal life, professional life. Um, if I'm feeling, you know, uh, sad, anxious, angered, I'll allow myself to feel that right for a minute, two minutes. And I will express my way myself in the ways that I need to in that moment. And then once that time's up, I'm like, okay, what do I have to do now to move on? Right. So for example, right, I got those four flats and after each flat, uh, you know, I would, throw myself a little pity party, right? <laughs> and I'd have my little tantrum and then a minute would pass me like, okay, I'm going to fix my flat and then get back on the road. And that was it. And then I just didn't think about it again because I, I moved through it and allowed myself to kind of uh, feel those feelings mm-hmm. for uh, a period of time. Um, so yeah, and I, I mean, that happened pretty frequently. You know, you feel a lot when you're on the road in that kind of vulnerable position and it's just you up there, right? So yeah, you're feeling all the feels. So I made sure to feel them and, you know, carry them with me. So this journey was 185 days total, if I have that number right. So how did you try to, yeah, how did you try to stay in the present moment and focus on the day-to-day despite the large journey as a whole? Because I'm sure many people would focus on the whole journey and get caught up in how much longer they have left. So how did you try to stay in the moment and uh, focus on each day individually? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think it's kind of built into like the uh, just ex- like what what the trip entails and what it requires. So I didn't even have to intentionally focus on the present moment. I was kind of forced to because there are like three main things that I thought about every single day, right? And nearly you know every hour. And those were where am I going to eat, how am I going to get water, and where am I going to sleep tonight. Right. So those were like my main three objectives every single day. So it kind of forced me into remaining present and, and focus on those three things and not thinking and over being overwhelmed by, you know, the entirety of the trip. Um, so, I mean, it was really just taking those those bite sized pieces of, of my journey and be like, OK, like there's a gas station coming up. Do I need food? Do I need to refill my water bottles? Uh, and I did a lot of stealth camping. Right. So I just camp alongside the road. So I did that probably 60, 65% of my trip. Um, so then, you know, as the sun would start to set, I'd be like, okay, where can I camp tonight? You know, is this a good spot? Is that a good spot? You know, how much longer can I last until the sun goes down? Um, so those, I would ask myself those questions pretty frequently. And, you know, that would kind of force me into that present moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm sure many people are interested. I am as well. 
as to how you planned out, and I know you just kind of went through this, but maybe you could go a little deeper into how you planned on where to sleep, how you slept, like your setup, <laughs> and then additionally, yeah. even I'm more interested in uh, your food setup, what you ate, when you ate, etc. Yeah. Um, so first to sleep, um, like I said, I did a lot of stealth camping, and that was probably 65% of my trip. Um, and then the other 35% was friends, family, and uh, like host families or random strangers who uh, wanted to help me out, which is absolutely lovely. Um, but the days that I was, um, you know, trying to camp myself, um, it was very unstructured, right? And I kind of have like a checklist in my mind of, you know, what to look for. And the biggest thing are um, I, I set up my, my campsite um, as it right before sunset right so i have some light but it's not during the the daylight so people can't see me really <laughs> uh and then two i need to be far enough from the road so people can't see me from the road uh and then three need to be in a flat area uh and then four there can't be any kind of um uh predicted dangers right whether it's low land so if it there's a huge storm that you know there's certain flooding um or you know kind of depending on the region, I have to think about animals and wildlife. So snakes, you know, like in Georgia and Florida, like you don't want to go into a swampy area where there could be snakes or alligators. Um, so I have to kind of think about all those things and it's really regional de uh, dependent. Um, but essentially, I mean, to break this down, I'd be on my, on my bike, I'd be riding, the sun starts to set, and then I'm checking in with myself, how am I feeling? How much time do I think I have before sunset? And then while I'm riding, I'm looking off the side of the road to see if I can find a place to just pull off. Um, and it's um, amazing. Once you get an eye for it, there are so many places that you can self camp. It's really incredible. Um, so then I just pull off the side of the road. I would drag my bike, you know, into the woods or into a city park or into a regional state park, whatever that might look like. Uh, and then I'll set up my tent in the woods. And uh, my tent had a, a, a little fly underneath, so it kind of served as a tarp. So moisture wouldn't come in to my tent from the from the ground uh, and then I have my sleeping pad and my sleeping bag and uh, I would just crawl in and that might be six o'clock or five o'clock or you know seven o'clock kind of depending on the time of the year and the in the sunset and where I was you know around the country and um, that I'd camp out for the night <laughs> and I'd read my books and I'd blog because I tried to blog every single day and um, that was kind of my routine and I would just leave my bike off the outside of my tent and it didn't get stolen thankfully <laughs> and i had one probably the scariest i had some pretty sketchy like stealth camping experiences um oh boy the scariest one i thought it would <laughs> i thought it'd be a really good idea um you're from Ohio. i'm not sure if you've been to cleveland much a little bit i would definitely not but, camp there <laughs> yeah so i, I camped in a in a downtown city park okay yep i know what you're talking camping. about that that can't be good yeah yeah, and, and, and it wasn't, uh, you know, it, the sketchy part is there was just a lot of people in the park, right? And when you're sleeping, right, you're the most vulnerable you can be. So, <laughs> I, for, yeah, once again, for whatever reason, I thought it'd be a good idea. And I camped uh, in the city park. I ended up, like, throwing my bike underneath a bush, and I kind of nestled myself up underneath this bush on my sleeping pad with my sleeping bag. And then I just sat up all night you know, not getting any sleep because there's people walking throughout the whole park all night long and there's cops and 
people yelling and all that kind of stuff, and it just wasn't the most ideal sleeping arrangement. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that was definitely, like, probably my least favorite experience. And then there were a couple times I was sleeping in, like, um, uh, like farms on farms, and there were farmers um, who were like, yeah, you shouldn't be here. And I was like, yeah, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So they had to go find another spot. So that kind of stuff happened, and it is what it is, but... So as for food, can you take us through like what your normal day in the life of eating looked like on the trip? Yeah, so I was, um, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, I've been vegan for uh, a couple years um, before I left on my trip. But I was really worried about uh, being vegan and just getting in adequate amounts of of calories, especially as I rode through Montana, Wyoming, uh, and other parts of the country where, you know, vegan food isn't quite as readily available. Um, so I ended up shifting to a, a vegetarian diet. So I added eggs and cheese uh, and other dairy products um, that I could eat. So that that was very helpful. And kind of my routine throughout the day on, and what I'd eat is um, I wouldn't eat breakfast. So I would pack up my tent and my gear early in the morning, five or six, um, right as the sun's coming up, and I would hop on my bike for two hours. And I almost did that every single morning and without eating anything. So I just drink for the first two hours. And then after two hours, I would either try to find a restaurant um, or uh, use the food that I had on me. Um, and uh, I always had staples on me. So my main staple that I had nearly every single day. Peanut butter. Tortillas and peanut butter. Yes, sir. Yes. Tortillas and peanut butter. And I had so many jars of peanut butter. I was going to say, I think I saw a statistic. You said that you had 15 <laughs> whole jars during the trip. That's awesome. Yeah. 15 jars, and, and the jars did vary, so I, I should have explained that, but yeah, the so 15 jars of peanut butter, a ton of peanut butter, um, because I mean, it's so calorically dense, right, so it was like the biggest bang for my buck, I thought, and it was dirt cheap, right, so I could save a lot of money doing that, so a lot of tortillas and peanut butter, and I throw all kind of junk on those, those wraps, so it would be like, you know, gummy bears, gummy worms in there, <laughs> candy corn, apples, bananas, anything I can think of to just roll it all up and change the flavor a little bit. Um, and then I always had, you know, cliff bars and trail mix. And I tried to have veggies when I could. I'd pack like carrots or celery or something just to snack on, you know, some form of veggie. Um, and then I would usually try to eat out like one or two times each day um, because I didn't want to cook. The less, the less I cooked, the better, I thought, um, because I didn't always have access to water. Um, so I'd, you know, go to Little Caesars and grab a cheese pizza or... Um, you know, try to find a buffet where there's vegetarian options or, you know, something along those, those lines. Um, and that was kind of what I did. Um, and it was kind of low key. It wasn't too exciting, but yeah, a lot of peanut butter. Let me <laughs> tell you, <laughs> lots of peanut butter. And I'm, I'm like, I haven't touched peanut butter since I ended my trip. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sick of peanut butter now. <laughs> Gonna take uh, peanut butter off the shopping list in 2022. <laughs> no, I get that. Yeah, I get I that. A uh, little bit of space. <laughs> totally, totally. So, up yeah. So we're both big fans of the Ritual Podcast. I know, and he interviews people. Hope I, my goal, my end goal in life is to have uh, get you on that show. Not that I have any inside connections, but um, he does such a good job deconstructing these huge trips. So hopefully one day you can make it on his show and and go a little more in depth <laughs> yeah. about this journey. Because I'm definitely not as qualified as him as an interviewer. But with that being said, he has uh, so many people who do crazy monumental stuff like this or of this nature. 
And almost all of them that I've ever heard have these huge support crews. Like they have their own buses with nice Normatec boots and a chef and uh, stuff like that. Whereas you did this essentially completely solo. So I'm interested to know, with that being said, of most people who do stuff like this have super large support crews. How did you pull this off essentially solo? Yeah, I think it, it really depends on the expectations of the trip. So I think a lot of the people that, that he interviews, like their focus is speed, right? How fast can they bike across the country, right? And people can do that in, I don't know what the record is, like 13 days. If I remember correctly, you know, 14, 15, 16 days, something like that. That's absurd, right? That's ridiculous how fast it is. But my expectation is, okay, I just want to get out there and, like, do the best that I can each day while carrying all of my gear myself and having no support, right? So it does have its own challenge. Um, but my expectation around it was, you know, different because it, it wasn't about the speed. Um, but I think I, I pulled it off because I was committed to it. You know, I, I think whenever you're committed to achieving a goal that you have, right, you are going to be relentless in overcoming any challenges that are kind of thrown your way. Um, and I, I think that's, that's what happened. I think by the time I reached Florida, so I was probably, you know, four months into my, my tour, and I still had another 5,000 miles to go, I was getting pretty tired. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to be done. But I think, you know, that's when you start to ask your, yourself the questions, why am I doing it? Who do I want to be on the other side of this trip? You know, do I want to quit now or do I really want to just suck it up? You know, because whenever you suck it up, you know, and you achieve a goal that you aspire to achieve, you feel so much better about yourself. And, um, and I wanted that feeling, you know, and I wanted to achieve this, you know, bike around the, the U.S. And I was pretty committed to that. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I just kind of made it happen that way and I think it's a mindset thing. Totally. So as you have mentioned a few times during this episode, you documented this whole journey on your website, which is runtheprocess.com. I'll leave a link in the show notes. And you wrote about each day individually, essentially, about the day and some of the different experiences you had while on that specific day's trip. So what was it like reflecting on each day and putting it out to the public to read? Yeah, um, it was interesting. Um, because I was kind of all over the place with my emotions at the end of each day, right? You know, like some days I was just really excited and like proud of what I accomplished that day and I was excited to write and reflect on it. And other days I was just so exhausted and tired and I didn't want to engage with that day and what happened that day. So it was all over the, the, the place in it and that was reflected in my writing too. Um, so like some posts were really short and some posts were really long and was a deep dive into my, my thoughts and, and my feelings and such. Um, but I think it was a good practice for me. You know, it was a good practice to kind of force myself to, to reflect on the day and ask myself the question of, you know, what did I, what did I think of, uh, of today? And was I proud of my effort today? And, you know, how, how far did I go? And, you know, those kind of things. Um, so I think it was a good practice. Um, and I don't think a ton of people saw it because it wasn't about sharing it with other people necessarily, although I did do that, I think it really was all about me just going through the motions of doing it each day and forcing myself to do it. Um, so I made it happen. Though I did, I don't know if you saw, like I didn't post like the last 20 days of my trip. I know, I was waiting for that. I was like, is there a glitch on my internet or something? Because he just randomly stopped no, one day. 
<laughs> so I got to L.A. Uh, yeah, and I think I stopped posting once I got to L.A. Um, because I just wanted to finish my trip and I just wanted to focus on that that like each and every day and just remain as present as possible because I knew that this was going to be the final stretch. Mm-hmm. So all the way up the Pacific Coast, you know, the Northern California Coast, and, uh, the Oregon Coast, I was pretty just focused on, you know, being present and engaging with each day as fully as possible. Mm-hmm. So as you mentioned earlier in this episode, you said essentially you had eight hours of time with yourself and your mind. Take us through that a little more. I know it's a little hard to talk about. And additionally, what are the biggest things you learned about yourself during this trip? Oh, yeah. Um, So I try to kind of structure my day a little bit. So, yeah, as you just mentioned, I was on the on the bike. uh, usually about eight hours a day. Some days were nine, 10, 11 hours, but I, th- I think it usually, you know, came out to be seven and a half to eight hours each day, just like a job, you know, just like a full-time job. Um, and I usually try to start my morning, you know, without, without any input from, any, uh, from anything. So I, uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of audiobooks, which I, I'll talk about in a bit, but I'd usually try to start my day fresh, right. With just, you know, thinking about, you know, what's going on in my body, um, asking my, myself, you know, the questions of like, how am I feeling? You know, what do I want to achieve today? Where am I going to eat? Where am I going to sleep? Where am I going to get water? <laughs> you know, those questions once again, and to kind of create a plan for that day. Um, especially since I didn't have a, a plan, you know, I kind of created it as I went. So I would figure out things as I, as I was on my bike. Um, so I think I started, you know, most, most days uh, like that, you know, first couple hours of each day. Uh, just thinking about those things. Um, and then I listened to, uh, over the course of my trip, I think I listened to 31 audiobooks um, on Audible and a wide variety of books from, you know, fiction uh, to the classics like The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings to uh, nonfiction. I listened to Barack Obama's book, um, A Promised Land, um, and all kinds of other books. Uh, Finding Ultra, actually, I listened to, to that book by Rich Roll, which is really awesome. Um and then a bunch of podcasts. I think I listened to nearly every single ritual podcast that he put out, <laughs> <laughs> which is awesome. It was really cool. Um, so I always felt like I was trying to balance that, like time to myself um, to really absorb everything that I'm thinking and everything that I'm, I'm seeing and experiencing. And then also like wanting to learn um, and, and absorb new information while I'm on, on my bike. Um, and in terms of the things that I learned about myself, um, I think the biggest thing is that I can do so much more than I ever thought possible, you know, and I think we can sustain a certain amount of, of pain for a really long time. I think, I think that was a huge surprise for me. You know, I had some days where there was 10, 11 hours on the bike and it just didn't feel great. Hour one, right. I didn't feel great at all. And then I ended up just pounding, you know, the whole day and it wasn't fast, but it was just, you know, making that progress and just being committed to going as far as I can. And then I do it and I was like, wow, I just did that. And it was, you know, I had a lot of pride for that, you know, and I, I was able to do that so much more than, you know, I, I thought I could. Um, so yeah, I think that was, I mean, that was the biggest learning point because I'm capable and I think we're all capable, you know, in ways that we didn't think possible. So you obviously had a super long and successful running career, uh, running career before you started this trip, and running was kind of your thing for a while. So I'm interested to know what are the biggest lessons you learned from running 
that you translated into this trip, going into this trip? Mm. Ooh, that is a good question. Um, I think with running is, I mean, you have to do something every day, right, to get to where you want to be. And I think it's the same, <laughs> I mean, it's the same thing when you're on the bike, when you're doing the bike tour, right? Is It's just like consistency. And the consistency factor is the most important factor. It's not about having, um, you know, the 120-mile day once, and then you take three days off when you're on a bike tour. Just like it doesn't mean anything to run 110 miles one week, right? And then you're so banged up, you know, from running that you're only able to run 30 the next two weeks, right? But it's more beneficial, you know, to run, you know, 85-mile week, you know, for three weeks just like it's more beneficial to run and like average 90 miles a day on the bike, you know, that you're actually going to go farther in the long run and you're going to feel better about that, you know, when you're more consistent. Um, and I think that translated pretty well to that. Mm-hmm. And then also the like competition factor is like, I would create little challenges with myself on the bike, you know, because I'm a pretty competitive person and I miss that. So like, you know, I would pound, you know, certain, certain hills. I would see a hill and I'm like, okay, how fast can I get up this hill? Or let's see how, how high I can get my heart rate. I would wear my watch every day, right? Or how fast can I bike the next mile, the next 10 miles, or the full day, you know? So I'd create these mini challenges for myself, just like you would with workouts or, or races with running. So most people will never travel through as many states. I believe you went through 35 as you did so intimately yeah, in your life. Lo- in their life. So what did you learn most about our country as a whole and the diversity of it during the trip? Because you went through 35 of the states, as I just mentioned. Yeah. Um, so our, our country is really different all over, but I think at the same time, it's, it's kind of the same. And that might not make sense, but I feel like, you know, rural America is rural America. Whether you are in rural Wyoming or rural Louisiana, or rural New York, right? I, I think people approach life in a similar way as rural Americans. Same with urban Americans, right? There's a certain mentality when you're in a city, and there's a certain um, engagement when you're in a city, and an excitement when you're in a city with, with energy. So I think I saw those parallels all across the country in different states and different regions. You know, that it really isn't that, that different from the East Coast to the West Coast. <laughs> or smack dab in the middle of the city um and a really cool thing is there's there's these cities that blew my mind like that i i've been to before but i didn't know had such a rich culture like cleveland was actually one of those cities where i was like cleveland surprised me it's actually a pretty hip and cool city like i wouldn't have thought that or chicago was really cool i spent two nights in chicago in the south loop and i was like whoa like there's so much culture in the in like community in chicago and i just thought it was a big city with a bunch of sky rises, right? <laughs> that was my perception of it. You know, and I've been there many times. Um, so it was cool to kind of engage with, with people from these cities, right? And then kind of see these parallels all the way across the country. Um, and then a, my last point with that is, I mean, um, I, I, you know, our country is kind of divided, right? I mean, it's, it's intense, right? The divide in our country. Um, but I think what was so beautiful about my trip is I was I, I kind of um, tried to engage with as many people as possible, but uh, approach that conversation and appreciate them as, you know, a human being who just wants to be happy and healthy in their life. 
and share that with those that they love and care about. You know, and that I think uh, provided a space for us to connect in, in in really intimate and beautiful ways. Whereas if I if I l- like leaned into that conversation with my political views or political topics, <laughs> or that you know I I'm from the West Coast, you know that could have altered the conversation and shut that door um, for a, a, a rich conversation with mm-hmm. a stranger on the street. Totally. Yeah, thank you for that insight. That's super, super fascinating. I will say one of the biggest regrets from myself in 2021 was I was, it was either on Strava or I was reading your uh, blog and I realized you went like five minutes from my house and I totally missed, uh, I totally would have loved Wait, to meet. Yeah, so really? I live about five minutes away from mommy. So you went on the Wabash cannonball trail which is a super long yeah. bike trail and it, and i run on that trail i bike on it so literally the next day i'm refreshing strava or whatever it was and i see what he passed through and uh i was shell-shocked for a minute because i was like i didn't know he was going to go through my neighborhood essentially <laughs> so i will forever regret yeah. that um but i'm sure the opportunity for us to meet will will come at another time but also one of my preconceived notions was that you would be finished after reaching Portland, Maine, yet you kept going. So take us behind this plan to continue going after you reached your first original destination. Absolutely. Before I dive into that, um, I had lunch at the Village Idiot in Maumee. I don't know if you know where that is. I do. It's a pretty uh, renowned place in the city, but I haven't had the opportunity to go yet. But I've heard it has phenomenal pizza. Great pizza. And a super fun name. I mean, the creative name. Yeah, Yeah, the Village Idiot. And uh, I don't know if you know Zach Kirk. Yes, I do. He actually, uh, he's a legend in the Toledo mommy area just because he was super accomplished in high school. But one of my really, really close friends, um, he's being coached by Zach currently. So, yeah, I know him really well. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, great guy. But he was the one that recommended the Village Idiot. And it kind of told me where to go. And (laughs) kind of navigated that area which is awesome. I loved it. I was actually really impressed uh, with Ohio because there's so many of these really awesome bike trails, right? Private bike trails with these beautiful trees and and parks. It was was really awesome. I enjoyed it. Um, But in terms of the continuation of my trip, um, as you mentioned, yeah, the original plan is to just go from coast to coast. So from Seaside, Oregon to Portland, Maine. Um, And why those destinations specifically, you know, I lived in Portland for a while, so I kind of wanted to do like the Portland to Portland thing. I think that would have been kind of cool. So I ended up making that happen. And I kind of shared this story early in the pod, but um, I ended up meeting uh, this guy called the Rocket Man in Missoula, Montana, while I was riding. Um, And he's 66 years old, and he's biked all around the world. Um, on the bike that he was riding, he said that he's put in over 100,000 miles on that bike, that one bike that he was riding. Um, and he said that he was doing another tour around the U.S., um, another 10,000-mile tour around the U.S. So he just kind of shared some stories with me. We rode maybe just 20 miles together. Um, and then he kind of planted that seed in the back of my mind that, you know, people do that. <laughs> you can bike around the U.S. And I was like, this dude is 66 years old and he's doing it. What excuse do I have as a 26-year-old man? You know, I'm just going to go once across? No way. <laughs> <laughs> and then as time went on, right, this, this seat kind of uh, grew into this, you know, this monstrous tree in the back of my mind that it's like, yeah, you know what? You should do this. 
Like, what's holding you back? Um, and then I also met, like, a ton of people who were biking across the country, um, and they are overweight or really out of shape. And I was like, you know what? Like, I want to stretch myself even more. Like, if they can bike across the country, I'm in pretty good shape. You know, I still have money in the bank, and um, I can do it. So by the time I got to Portland, Maine, I was, I was just ready to continue onwards, and I was excited to continue onwards. And, yeah, then I got to Portland, Maine, and then biked all the way down to Jackson, Florida, Jacksonville, Florida and then cut to L.A. and then back up to Seaside. So was there a breaking point during this trip where you wanted or came close to throwing in the towel? And if so, how did you will yourself forward to keep going one more? Yeah, so there was, there was definitely a lot of moments where I, I just didn't want to continue. Um, but then I forced myself to continue, and then I kind of got reengaged with the process once again. Um, as, as Rich Roll always says, right, mood follows action, right? So sometimes when you're just not feeling it, just act, do something, and then your mood will shift and change with those actions. Uh, so I kind of embraced that mentality for myself. And um, whenever I felt like I was ready to quit, I just keep riding. And I was like, all right, I'm good. <laughs> I'm ready to keep going. But there was, there was one moment where I really was fed up and I was just exhausted and I was just ready to be done. And that was in, that was in Texas. Um, so the situation was, um, uh, I ended up getting these new tires in Whitefish, Montana. So as I mentioned, I had 11 flats in the first 15 days. In Whitefish, Montana, I got these new tires. I didn't have a single flat for the next 7,000 miles. Wow. Not one flat. Yeah, incredible. So uh, fast forward a couple months and, you know, thousands and thousands of miles later, um, I was in, I just entered Texas uh, from Louisiana. I believe, uh, and and yeah, I ended up getting a flat, and I was like, okay, it's about time. It's been seven thousand miles. Uh, I got this flat, and I realized that my pump was broken, <laughs> and I didn't use my pump in the last seven thousand miles, so I haven't really looked at it. So my pump ended up being broken, and I didn't have a way to really pump up my tire. Um, so I ended up going door to door in this small little city that I was in um, to find a pump, and I did, uh, but I didn't have a pump any longer. Um, and then I kept going and then I ended up getting a second flat that same day. So then had to navigate that around again. And I ended up, you know, somebody stopped after about a half hour as I was walking my bike along that road, uh, and offered a pump to me, which is excellent. Um, so then that ended up happening, uh, three more times over the next two days where I got a flat and I didn't have a pump. <laughs> so I was just, I was exhausted. I was fed up and I was just like, what the heck is going on? And I couldn't find a pump anywhere because it's really rural Texas on the, on the east side. Um, and uh, it got to a point, you know, after my fifth flat, I was 66 miles away from Austin, Texas. Um, and I just broke down. You know, I was just like completely over it. I was just like, what the heck? Um, and I ended up, I planned to stay with my, I have a friend uh, who lives in Austin. And I ended up calling him, talking to him about the situation. Um, and he actually ended up coming uh, to pick me up. So that was the one ride that I accepted over my whole trip. Uh, so he traveled 66 miles uh, to come pick me up and drive me back to Austin. Um, but, I mean, I was, I was pretty broke after that, just like just mentally and emotionally, you know, just having to do that for three days, you know, to, like try to find the pump after. I <laughs> pump my, my tire up. Um, so that was really frustrating. But I was able to kind of 
overcome that, you know, uh, with my friend Devin, and I kind of recouped in Austin for five days. Uh, And then that kind of fueled the fire once again, once I wasn't on my bike for a couple days. Then I slowly got excited once again to continue my trip. And um, by the time I was on the road again, I had a new pump. Uh, I ended up getting my bike maintenance um, at a local bike shop, and I was back and excited to, to get going. And yeah, then it was fine from there on out. You shared many stories from both the mental side, like you just shared, but also the physical side. So I'm interested to know which side do you think was harder, the mental side or the physical side? And then relating to both of those, how did you push past your limits on both of those spectrums every single day? Yeah. Um, so I definitely think it was the mental side was the most most challenging. Um, but the thing was, with with touring... Is it, I mean, it wasn't every day that I, it was hard. You know, it was about probably like one, one or two days a week where I kind of faced a certain inner challenge or external challenge, like weather or flat tires or, you know, uh, drivers being, you know, assholes and trying to run me off the road. Like those <laughs> external challenges that I have to overcome, right? But then the internal challenges were definitely like, you know, I'm just not, not mentally present i'm not really i don't want to continue onwards today or i I, i'm tired and i just want to sleep and all those kind of things um so yeah i I definitely think a mental side was the uh the most difficult because it was just a constant every single day i needed to make progress Um, and then your physical body adapts to that right but you have to adapt your mental your mental side of of you to kind of uh, embrace that lifestyle and I think I just took some time. Um, but once again, like for me, I just have to do it, right? I, I, I try not to like overanalyze everything um, because I think when you overanalyze, then, you know, you kind of create problems rather than, you know, creating solutions. Um, so for me, I just had like do it. I'm like, okay, I'm, there's just not a choice. I just have to make progress today and I have to overcome this challenge, you know? And when I do it, then I gain additional confidence Right. And see that I can achieve something and then just put that in my back pocket for a time that, you know, I'm struggling. And then I pull that, you know, example out of my back pocket and remind myself I am capable. Right. I can do this. I've done it before and I can do it again. So it's that kind of a process week in, week out, day in, day out with those those challenges that I faced. Um, Yeah. What do you think was the single most effective strategy you used to continue to help yourself to keep pushing forward? Was it the one you just mentioned or was there a different specific one you used pretty regularly to help yourself to continue to push? Yeah, I think it's, it's similar. I would probably sum it up as uh, keep showing up. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people in the, you know, success culture has kind of expressed that similar point, but just show up. Right. You know, some days it's not going to feel great, you know, and some days it can feel incredible and it's going to feel so easy. But just get on the bike every single day and make progress. Right. And then usually just like running, you know, some days you don't want to run. But, you know, once you get your booty out there and 15 minutes later, then you're enjoying yourself. And that's usually the case with, you know, uh, with my riding is, you know, I'd wake up in the morning. It'd be cold. I didn't want to get out of my tent. Uh, but I pack everything up, get on my bike, and then I enjoy myself within the next, you know, 30 minutes and then kind of get uh, presently focused. So, yeah, the biggest thing is just show up every day and make progress. 
Can you take us through the last part of your trip and additionally your emotions when finishing? How did it feel to you to have finished such a mo- monumental achievement? Yeah. Um, so I think the last week of my trip was the most difficult week of my whole trip. Um, Interesting. I feel like it would be the opposite just because you're so close. <laughs> yeah, dive into that. You would think, yes. So what made it so difficult is so I was riding up the Oregon coast in uh, mid to late December. So it was cold, it was rainy, and it was really hilly. <laughs> so <laughs> Three brutal no factors. Escape. Yeah, there was no escape. Because um, at night it would get to 35, 36 degrees. And during the day it would be in the high 30s or low 40s. And, I mean, you know that kind of temperature, you know, and with the rain, constant rain, Right, it soaks through everything, right? You just can't escape it. And like all of my, my tent would be soaked, my sleeping bag would be soaked. And it was just every single day of just being exhausted in that, you know? And knowing that you're so close to being done, so mentally you're already partially checked out because you're so close. So you're not, you don't have quite the same edge. At least I didn't. You know, I was close, but I, I was just so exhausted. I was like, ready to be done. <laughs> so I wasn't like quite as, as uh, you know, alpha, you know, in my aggression towards finishing. Um, I was just like, you know what? I just want to, I just want to be done. You know, I was just so ready to be done. So it was just a, a, a toil, a, an inner and outer toil with the, with the weather and the, what was going on inside of, of me. Um, and then I, once I got to Seaside, Oregon, which is where I started, um, that was the official point that I biked all around the whole U.S. Um, and then I ended up getting a hotel in Seaside. I got very few hotels throughout my whole trip, and um, I, yeah, I mean, I allowed myself maybe ten minutes to be excited. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "This is sweet. This is awesome." And then I called my family, and I called some of my friends, and you know, shared with them that I did this thing and it was really cool. Um, but then my mind, I'm, I'm not somebody who really, like when I achieve something, it's great. I'd like to celebrate back a little bit, but then I'm always like on to the next thing. You know, what else do I want to achieve? So then once I got to Seaside, I decided I wanted to bike to Portland. So I just wanted to finish my, my bike trip to Portland rather than just being down in Seaside. So I biked an additional 110 miles to Portland for the next two days. <laughs> So then that felt like a celebratory finish, which is kind of cool, but it was still really miserable. Um, and then, but my mind was already turning about, okay, I want to get back into run training. What are the, my philosophy? I'm going to start coaching myself again. So I want to think about certain workouts and the races that I want to do upcoming. So I was already thinking about what's next. So it was kind of a weird thing because I kind of celebrated, but then I was like already jumped uh, to what's next. And even now, like, I mean, it's been, I finished uh in seaside december 21st uh which is funny because i started june 21st so i started june 21st and then i finished in seaside december 21st the first day of winter which is really cool so it's solstice to solstice Mm -hmm. um but even now like a month later it's still it still doesn't feel completely real that i biked around the u.s like even having this conversation with you like i don't think about these things that often and you ask these questions, and I'm like, huh, what did I think about at this moment in my in my tour? We're like, huh, what kind of challenges did I face? <laughs> <laughs> so you're kind of helping me reflect on this, 
you know, and kind of unpack some of these things. Um, so it, it makes it feel a little bit more real what I what I accomplished, which is probably good. Mm-hmm. So I thank you for that. <laughs> no problem at all. You're doing me a service as well. So um, I'm constantly inspired by what you're doing, and it's phenomenal to get the chance to hear a little more up close about what the journey was like because, you know, on Strava every day I might see you bike 75 miles, which is hard for me to comprehend when the most I've ever ridden is 31, and it was brutal. Um, but when I see that 75 miles, I don't actually know about the inc- intricacies of each day and how many uh, scoops of peanut butter you may have ate or what audible book you listened to. So it's cool to hear the inside scoop on it. Um, A few more questions to wrap this thing up. One of which that I'm interested to hear about. Uh, How old are you? I turned 27 in December. Okay, so you've lived almost 27 years of your life. I'm interested to know, was this the most, was were those six months on the trip the most meaningful six months of your life? Ooh. That is a good question. Ooh. I'm not sure about the most meaningful. Because um, I've drawn a lot of meaning with uh, a lot of struggles that I faced in my life right, in the ways that I've overcome some of those struggles. So I, I would honestly say the most meaningful portion of my life was when I transferred from University of Minnesota to University of Portland. I really do think that that was more meaningful than this six-month tour that I went on. But it provided a different kind of meaning and a different kind of, uh, I, I think it provided a different kind of confidence in my, in my abilities. Um, that is a really good question, um, but I would still say that I think my when I decided to move out to Portland was more impactful, um, just in my own development. Mm-hmm. Totally. So as you kind of mentioned um, when you were going through your nicknames, run the process is kind of what it seems to be like your motto for life, and that's what your website <laughs> and kind of mission is modeled after. So how did you, quote unquote, run the process during this amazing journey? Yeah, so uh, run the process, kind of how I came up with that is um, I was told uh, a lot throughout my life to trust the process, right? Um, And I mean, that's thrown around all the time. And I never liked that because I felt like it was a blind trust that success is going to happen, right? And I kind of created run the process as like an action-oriented approach to that. Like you need to put in the work, right? You need to engage with the work to achieve the outcome that you want to achieve. It's not going to just magically happen, right? You need to actively engage with it and you need to run towards that goal that you have. Um, And I feel like I embrace that and why I decided to keep that platform to my blogging rather than create a a separate platform uh, is because I tried to remind myself of that is, you know, each and every day I needed to you know, run towards my outcome and, and really uh, uh, embrace, you know, each moment as it, as it comes, right? And that, that's where the true gifts of learning and the true gifts of development happen um, is in those, you know, moments that you're faced with adversity. And that's, that's the beautiful part of it. And I think the outcome is going to be a, a byproduct of, of that work that you're putting in. So clearly what you did this past year was truly remarkable 
but I'm sure the average person listening to this, though they might challenge themselves every day, are probably finding it hard to relate to biking almost 12,000 miles and on average like 75 miles a day. So for the average listener, what would be some advice you would give to them to kind of chase after their own journey like this? Yeah. And I think the the advice that I would give is do something hard. (laughs) Anything that's hard that you think is hard, do it. Because I think it's in those moments of of challenge, of adversity, of friction, uh, where you learn the most about yourself. And I feel like that's a similar theme that I've kind of expressed throughout this whole podcast. Um, and I think that's kind of what it's, it's kind of a funny thing because I, I mean, we've we've grown a little soft, you know, uh, as time went on in, in this country. In that, uh, in that, you know, we live in temperature-controlled houses, right? We have air conditioning. We have access to food whenever we want it, right? We can be a couch potato and not move our body if we don't want to. We can get food delivered to us without leaving our house, right? We can have that kind of a lifestyle. But what does that what does that provide? You know, you don't feel good about yourself. You don't know where your limits are. You don't have confidence in your own abilities. And I think you only gain that when you stretch yourself with certain challenges, right? And challenges that you may or may not achieve. So for me, my challenge is to bike around the U.S. And that was hard for me. And I, it was possible that I wasn't going to achieve it. So that works for me, but for somebody else, that might be running one mile, or that might be hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, or that might be, uh, you know, launching a new business or a podcast like yourself and consistently showing up for that podcast for two years, three years, four years, whatever that might be. So I think it's all about, you know, embracing a challenge, creating a challenge for yourself, embracing it, and then following through with that challenge. And I think that anybody can do that and create that for themselves in their life. Well, fire wisdom, man. I really appreciate it. I personally have taken away a lot from this conversation, so I hope every single person listening to this can say the same, which I'm sure they will, um, because I've been profoundly impacted by you and your words and your mission in life. So thank you for all of that. Not to be this guy, but what is next for you? What are you most looking forward to this next year after such a crazy 2021? Yeah, well, I'm getting back into running. And I am excited, let me tell you. <laughs> I've missed it a lot, being on the bike for six months, you know, because I've, uh, you know, I've been running for most of my life. Um, so I plan to do a couple marathons this fall. Um, as you probably know, uh, the USATF announced the Olympic trial uh, qualifying times for the marathon for 2024. Um, so I have my sights set on uh, qualifying for, the, for another Olympic trial in the marathon. Um, so my plan is to run Twin Cities, you know, October 1, and then I'm actually going to try to do CIM eight weeks later um, on my birthday, December 4th. Wow, very exciting. That year. So, so I'm going to double dip with marathons just eight weeks apart uh, to see what, see what my body can handle. So it's all about gearing up for those, and I'm sure I'll do some races uh, beforehand, but I first need to get in shape. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite there yet. That is all super, super exciting, and I look forward to uh, following along on this new journey. So, um, yeah, I'm going to strap myself in and take a take a back seat and see what you can do, because uh, as we know, when you set your mind to something, you're going to achieve it or at least become a better person through the process. So I'm excited to uh, see what you do. 
Yeah, I definitely appreciate that. And I appreciate that. I think it was helpful for me to kind of reflect on a lot of these questions and unpack of a lot of my own learning. Totally, totally. Well, before I let you go, I have nine quick rapid fire questions about the journey. So are you ready for these nine quick questions, <laughs> okay. Matt? Let's Let's dive in. Okay. Number one, go-to meal during the journey. I'm sure people can guess this by now. (laughs) Tortillas and peanut butter. Let's go. Love to hear it. Okay. Number two, what part of your body frequently ached or hurt the most? Ooh, I think I was very lucky in that my body felt pretty good for most of my trip, but I think my hips were the most locked up because I was just in that biking position for so long. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, number three, favorite state or city you rode through? Uh, Favorite state was uh, North Carolina. Favorite city was Asheville. So I rode the extent of the Blue Ridge Parkway, and it was some of the most stunning riding of this whole country. It was gorgeous. I loved it. Okay, number four, what was the most memorable day of riding? The most memorable days are the hardest days in my mind. So I think the most memorable day is the one that I mentioned when I uh, I was just fed up and I needed to call my friend outside of Austin, Texas. So when I was just at my absolute end and I broke down. Um, and I don't think I mentioned it was the most incredible thing. Is I broke down, I was having such a rough day and I was just at my absolute bottom. And this woman uh, ended up stopping. Um, she was in a car and stopped and just chatted with me about my my trip and what I was doing and this is when I was on the side of the road I was like you know crying I was like oh I was like what was me and then she ended up you know giving me $50 right so it was this this tremendous gift at, at my lowest point uh, which you know I mean I really carried that with me often and I remember that uh, just how kind that was and how that completely shifted my, my mentality in that moment um, to be grateful for the trip that I that I'm on and to recognize my privilege to be on this trip mm-hmm. and to be doing this every single day. Um, so yeah, that was very memorable. But totally. I remember a lot of the really hard days. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Number five, favorite podcast or song that kept you going or a book, I guess. Cause um, you talked about listening to yeah. audible. Lot. Yeah. Lots of audible. I actually really loved, uh, I've read the Lord of the Rings a couple times, but re-listening to the Lord of the Rings was awesome. I was so jacked up. And I listened to all three of the books uh, of the trilogy. Really sick. Um, but then anything by Rich Roll got me got me really juiced. Awesome. So, got the juices yeah, flowing yeah. for those 75-mile bike yeah, days. juices flowing. I know. Yeah, and anything roll on. Uh, I, I love that, that mm-hmm. series that he has with Adam Skolnick. Okay. And then, so actually, my favorite book. So I'll go back. Definitely, so I listened to this three times on my trip. Can't Hurt Me. Right, David Goggins. Oh, man. I was going to ask that. I was going to ask that because that's the kind of thing, that's the kind of motivation you need to keep going. Yeah, when I started to, you know, feel sorry and woe with me, I would listen to that book and get all jacked up and, you know, quit crying about things (laughs) and then just move forward. Yeah, stay hard, as David Goggins would say. Yeah, stay hard, baby. Okay, is there a favorite, number six, is there a favorite statistic you have from the trip that you're most proud proud of? Um, I think the elevation gain. So I think I had over 400,000 feet of elevation gain. Wow. Um, and then my highest point was 9,666 feet, I believe it was, in the Bighorn Mountains. Um, and so that was really cool. And then I had one day in the Blue Ridge Parkway where I uh, uh, 
I think I climbed over 10,000 feet um, in like 95 miles. So that's remarkable. Of those numbers, yeah. Okay, number seven, favorite new connection you made along the way. Oh man, there's too many. <laughs> there's too many to have a favorite. Um, but I think one that uh, one that really stands out is um, I met this guy. Uh, he uh, I went to a vegan fruit festival in upstate New York. It was the Woodstock Fruit Festival, which is awesome. And I met the, the owner uh, of that fruit festival, and um, he was a really cool guy. He's an ultra marathoner, and he's a jeweler. And I ended up staying um, at his son's apartment in Manhattan for about three days, and it was a block away from Central Park. And it was my first time in New York City, and it was just so cool to kind of have that space and this awesome apartment um, and to have this, this support from this guy who was just trying to, you know, help me in any way that he could um, throughout my tour. So that was a really cool connection that I feel like I, I forged along the trip. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's great to hear. Okay, number eight, what place would you go visit again? A lot of places. A ton of places. <laughs> um, I loved Asheville, North Carolina. It reminds me of the West Coast, so I would definitely go there in a heartbeat. Uh, and then wherever, you know, my family and friends were. So, I mean, all across the country, really. I mean, I'd love to do the tour all again, <laughs> maybe in a car the second time. <laughs> but I would like to do it, you know, do it again to see everybody that I met. Yeah, you'll have to come back to mommy and we can actually go for a mm-hmm. bike ride. I still feel horrible about that. Man. <laughs> yeah, that would have been awesome. Okay, last but not least, number nine. What one word or phrase would you dis- would you use to describe the trip? Oh man, um, who resistant? That's my one word. It's just challenge, you know, that friction. And if that was the most beautiful part of the whole trip, is because it was hard. <laughs> And that's what I loved most. Well, this conversation has been remarkable, and I can't thank you enough, Matt, for giving me the opportunity to go through this remarkable journey. And as I said previously, I can't wait to see what you accomplish the rest of your life. Yeah, I appreciate that. And then can I just say one last thing? Totally. Go for it. Um, So I'll leave you all with a little quote, and that is, uh, the world needs your unique gift. Uh, don't leave with them still inside you. Um, and to remember that I mean, we all have gifts and skills and, and tools within us. And uh, it's through sharing those with others and uh, honing those that I think you, you create a beautiful life for yourself. Um, so I'll end with that. But thank you so much, Dominic. I mean, what you do is incredible, and I'm, I'm so fortunate to be a part of it. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Running Effect. If you enjoyed it as much as I did, please like, subscribe, and share to help us out. It would really mean a lot. Make sure you turn on the notification bell and subscribe to the show so that you get upcoming podcasts that will be coming your way shortly. With that being said, God bless you all.